Section 86 of Mark Twain, a Biography. Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a Biography. By Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 190. Starting on the Long Trail. The tragedy of Puddenhead Wilson, with its splendid illustrations by Louis Loeb, having finished its course in the Century magazine, had been issued by the American Publishing Company. It proved not one of Mark Twain's great books, but only one of his good books. From first to last it is interesting, and there are strong situations and characters finely written. The character of Roxy is thoroughly alive and her weird relationship with her half-breed son is startling enough. There are not many situations in fiction stronger than that where half-breed Tom sells his mother down the river into slavery. The negro character is well drawn, of course. Mark Twain could not write it less than well, but its realism is hardly to be compared with similar matter in his other books, in Tom Sawyer, for instance, or Huck Finn. With the exceptions of Tom, Roxy, and Puddenhead, the characters are slight. The twins are mere bodiless names that might have been eliminated altogether. The character of Puddenhead Wilson is lovable and fine, and his final triumph at the murder trial is thrilling in the extreme. Identification by thumb-marks was a new feature in fiction then, in law too, for that matter but it is chiefly Puddenhead Wilson's maxims, run at the head of each chapter, that will stick in the memory of men. Perhaps the book would live without these, but with them it is certainly immortal. Such aphorisms as, Nothing so needs reforming as other people's habits. Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. When angry count four and when very angry swear cannot perish these with the forty or so others in this volume and the added collection of rare philosophies that head the chapters of following the equator have ensured to philosopher puddenhead a respectful hearing for all time the story of puddenhead wilson was dramatized by frank mayo who played it successfully as long as he lived it is by no means dead and still pays a royalty to the Mayo and Clemens estates. Clemens had meant to begin another book, but he decided first to make a trip to America to give some personal attention to publishing matters there. They were a good deal confused. The Harpers had arranged for the serial and book publication of Joan, and were negotiating for the Webster contracts. Mr. Rogers was devoting priceless time in an effort to establish amicable relations between the Harpers and the American Company at Hartford, so that they could work on some general basis that would be satisfactory and profitable to all concerned. It was time that Clemens was on the scene of action. He sailed on the New York on the 23rd of February, and a little more than a month later returned by the Paris, that is, at the end of March. By this time he had altogether a new thought. It was necessary to earn a large sum of money as promptly as possible, and he adopted the plan which, twice before in his life, in 1872 and in 1884, had supplied him with needed funds. Loathing the platform as he did, he was going back to it. Major Pond had proposed a lecture tour soon after his failure. "'The loss of a fortune is tough,' wrote Pond. 
but there are other resources for another fortune you and i will make the tour together now he had resolved to make a tour one that even pond himself had not contemplated he would go platforming around the world he would take pond with him as far as the pacific coast arranging with some one equally familiar with the lecture circuit on the other side of the pacific he had heard of r s smythe who had personally conducted henry m stanley and other great lecturers through australia and the east and he wrote immediately asking information and advice concerning such a tour clemens himself has told us in one of his chapters how his mental message found its way to smythe long before his written one and how smythe's letter proposing just such a trip crossed his own he sailed for america with the family on the eleventh of may and a little more than a week later after four years of exile they found themselves once more at beautiful quarry farm we may imagine how happy they were to reach that peaceful haven mrs clemens had written it is in a way hard to go home and feel that we are not able to open our house but it is an immense delight to me to think of seeing our friends little at the farm was changed there were more vines on the home the study was overgrown that was all even ellerslie remained as the children had left it with all the small comforts and utensils in place most of the old friends were there only mrs langdon and theodore crane were missing the beechers drove up to see them as formerly and the old discussions on life and immortality were taken up in the old places mrs beecher once came with some curious thin layers of leaves of stone which she had found knowing mark twain's interest in geology later when they had been discussing the usual problems he said he would write an agreement on those imperishable leaves to be laid away until the ages should solve their problems he wrote it in verse if you prove right and i prove wrong a million years from now in language plain and frank and strong my error i'll avow to your dear waking face if i prove right by god his grace full sorry i shall be for in that solitude no trace there'll be of you and me a million years o oh patient stone you've waited for this message deliver it in a million hence survivor pays expressage mark twain contract with mrs t k beecher july second eighteen ninety five pond came to elmira and the route westward was arranged clemens decided to give selections from his books as he had done with cable and to start without much delay he dreaded the prospect of setting out on that long journey alone nor could mrs clemens find it in her heart to consent to such a plan it was bitterly hard to know what to do but it was decided at last that she and one of the elder daughters should accompany him the others remaining with their aunt at quarry farm susie who had the choice dreaded ocean travel and felt that she would be happier and healthier to rest in the quiet of that peaceful hilltop she elected to remain with her aunt and jean and it fell to clara to go major pond and his wife would accompany them as far as vancouver they left elmira on the night of the fourteenth of july 
when the train pulled away their last glimpse was of susy standing with the others under the electric light of the railway platform waving them good-bye end of chapter one hundred and ninety starting on the long trail read by john greenman